We are continuing a series we started now three weeks ago called... Yeah, four people in this service remembered. Wow, that blessed me. My goodness. The other services were like, we don't know, Pastor. We haven't been paying attention. I don't know. <laughs> we are in a series called Made, and what it's all about is connecting to our design. And we're suggesting that maybe the reason we're experiencing difficulty in our life, maybe the reason we're experiencing some dysfunction, disappointment, uh, disintegration, different, different difficulties, and, and even in our culture, maybe it's because we've lost sight of our creator and that we've been made. And maybe there are purposes and ways by which we've been designed that are going to unlock flourishing in our life. And so that's what we've been seeking to do over the past few weeks. And we started out with the groundwork of where we belong in the universe. We started with a small topic, right? And we talked about how we were made to be with God, with others, and that we were supposed to connect our lives with God on the, on the vertical plane of our existence, but we're also su supposed to connect with one another on the horizontal plane in community that God has experienced in community. And so we, we began that. And then we talked about how we were, we were made from peace and how God created us to, to live in this space called Shalom. And, and Pastor Adam did such a good job telling us last week of how, how peace really isn't something we get, it's someone we know. And so we've been talking about just finding that place of peace in our lives. But today, I kind of want to hone in on the target and really in the, zoom in on the zone that, that I think is at the heart of all of the, the, the root of the dysfunction and difficulty that you and I face in our lives. And I would even say of the culture and the, the, the way society is now, I want to suggest to you that the conversation really ultimately points back to this one word, truth. I want to talk to you today about truth. Back in the late 90s, a man named Dallas Willard, he's a theologian, one of my favorites, he, he said, he wrote an essay called Truth in the Fire. And he said that we've actually come into a place in human history where we have begun to redefine what truth actually is. And we're be beginning to change the definition of it, but he posited that you can change the definition all you want, but truth is what it is. And it's interesting that he wrote that uh, almost two decades ago now, he's since passed on, but it was highly prophetic because we have now landed in a time in human history where truth really is under fire, isn't it? Like this concept of truth, like you and I live in a world where on the one hand, we don't know what is true, we don't know what to believe half the time, do we? Like we literally live in an era where we all know what I mean by fake news, right? And you knew whose voice that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We know what fake news is. We actually live in a time where you have got to be educated and alert and aware enough to sift through even in like what used to be credible news outlets, outlets like journalists don't follow the rules anymore. It is the wild west when it comes to opinion, is it not? And so what has happened though is we live in this world of fake news and, and disinformation. Did you, did you hear Mark Zuckerberg this week say literally, he verbatim said, Facebook is full of disinformation. We can't control it. Just be aware. Is basically what he said. Like half of the things you're reading is coming from someone with, a, with a, a, an intentionality to engineer how you think. Isn't that crazy? We live in a time of fake news and disinformation, but I think that's caused a reaction in us to the point where I think now we also live in a time where we basically shrug our shoulders and say, well, nothing is true and simultaneously, everything is true. Because if it's true to you, I guess that's true. Don't we live in that time? 
the era of staying true to our yes, or I have to, I have to live my truth. I have to tell my truth. You can see where I'm going with this. We're not going to be, it's not going to be good for that, that line of thinking. Yeah, we live in a time where truth has become relative. It's become subject, subjective. Now, historically, and I, I even officially, uh, even if you look on the dictionary and you, you type it in on, on Google, it's going to come up and it's going to tell you that truth, truth is actually connected to fact and actuality. Uh, truth just is. It is, and it's not moving. And that's still the official Webster's definition of what truth is. And historically, uh, we have understood truth in a certain way. Let's, let's make us here. We're not white. Why the long face? There we go. He's pink, but he's a dude. Gender neutral. It's going to be a fun day. I'm not even going to warn you right up front. All right. So we, we used, and it's my third time. This is, the, this is the one I get in trouble in. We, we used to believe, so just bear with me for a minute. Can you lean in though with me today? We're going we're gonna to do some like paradigm work. And I hope it's going to help you and give some kind of a new lens when you leave this place to kind of look at your life. But it used to be that the conversation surrounding truth had to be, had it connected to our paradigm. So this is our paradigm and what we believe to be true. So inside right now, the framework of your paradigm, you have a belief system. And here's what you need to know, whether you realize it or not, your life is running on the rails of your beliefs. It is guiding and directing the decisions you make, the values you have, the relationships you hold, your priorities, your belief system are the rails for your life. It's guiding and directing where you go, your beliefs. And it used to be that belief we believed was subjective and it was relative, correct? It was relative into our experience and this truth was objective. At the end of the day, it's not really gonna move for you. And so our experience with truth was about corresponding our belief, hang with me, with what is actually true. That how well what we believe is true corresponds with what is actually true determines our level of satisfaction in life. That's, that's generally how we are operating. Like you've, you, the, the times you've been disappointed, what is disappointment? Disappointment is when you believed in something and found out it was not true. Disappointment, there's a gap. Uh, dysfunction usually comes because the rails of your life were on a belief system that led you into a wall, correct? And so you had a belief system that wasn't aligned with what is actually true. And that, that is the, where the rubber meets the road. And we, the difficulty of all that is we now are in a time where we've begun to redefine truth. And we've begun to kind of reverse this where we're now saying, no, truth is now subject to my understanding and my feelings. And belief is now what is authoritative. Belief is now what is transcendent. Belief, belief is what is outside of everything. And so we have now switched the two to where truth is subjective and belief is objective. And I want to suggest to you today that that is what's causing a lot of problems in our lives. Because the, the hard part about this conversation is you can want something to be true and believe something is true, but in the end, what is true is going to be what is true. What? Hang with me. 
Like, it doesn't really matter how bad you want it because like, like uh, in, the, in the words, of, I think it's Ben Shapiro said, facts don't care about your feelings. They just don't. So, so we live in a time though where we're getting those two things inverted. And why? Oh, there's a fly. He's been bugging me all weekend. He's been after me. <laughs> we live in a time where these things have been inverted. And I want to suggest to you, I think it's actually at the root of a lot of the dysfunction and disappointment that we're experiencing in our lives. I think that might be why we're seeing more depression and anxiety and more despair. People's lives are cracking and imploding at a rate like any other time in human history. And I think it actually roots back to the fact that we've lost this and that we have nothing that's authoritative anymore in our world. And so now we live in, a, in the Wild West where our opinion is what is ultimate and we can call something to be true, whatever we want. I saw a video uh, a couple weeks ago. It was the cutest and most hilarious thing I've seen in a long time. Uh, I want to show it in just a second. But to me, this was a great picture of what is going on, I believe, in the world today and in, in a lot of our lives. This is a little video of a, of a young girl. She might be two years old. And her mother has tried, tried to convince her that what she's holding is an onion, not an apple. And she is convinced that this is a delicious apple and no one is telling me otherwise and I'm going to enjoy every bite. Watch this. I love it. My goodness. She's just gagging. She's like, I, I love it. She's just, she's water, her eyes are watering. She's trying to keep it down. It's hilarious. And I was like, you know what? That is how a lot of us are living. Calling something a delicious apple that's actually an onion. And you're just, I'm going to, I will enjoy this. Right? Like, I know he's good for me. <laughs> right? I know what sexuality actually is all about and I'm going to enjoy it how I want it, right? I know what a good family is. I know what's important for my family and we're going to eat every last bite, right? Eyes are watering. I wonder if, no, we're having fun with it, but I wonder if some of the reasons we're struggling so bad, like in our society right now and in culture right now is because we're, we're eating onions and calling it apples, and we've lost what actual truth is. Like maybe the reason there's so much suicide, like there's a lot of suicide right now, right? Like you've been paying attention. Maybe the reason that everyone is on some kind of disorder and spectrum, everybody. Maybe the reason for that is because we're, we're, we've lost truth. Like maybe, maybe, you know, we say things like, just follow your heart, it's delicious. Maybe your heart is a wicked thing that leads you to very destructive choices. Like maybe, maybe like we say, you know what, you can, the family unit and human sexuality and human identity, it can be whatever you want. 
maybe, maybe there actually is a design for how these things are supposed to work. Maybe that's why the family unit is more fractured than ever. Maybe that's why there is an identity crisis in our day because we've lost the voice of authoritative truth. And so I want for a couple of minutes just to look at this concept of truth because it's not that easy. And it's easy to like to, for us to zoom out on a macro level and pick on culture. But here's the deal. All of us are eating onions. Every single one of us. Telling God, I know what's best. Telling each other, I know what's best. Guiding our own way and I'm going to enjoy every bite. <coughs> right? We're all doing it. Every single one of us. Here's the thing though, truth is a very complex thing for us to navigate. We inherently have some real dilemmas when it comes to this conversation surrounding truth. And I wanna kind of help frame that in for you to, so you can realize why this is a struggle. And it's not a surprise why we've come to this place in human history where we're basically calling everything true because it's a very complex and difficult subject. And so I wanna give you just a few kind of things that help frame in the dilemma surrounding this idea of truth. And I hope you're taking notes today because this is gonna be helpful, I hope, in the long run of your life. But if you can just lean in, are, are you with me? All right, so we're gonna do a little more work. This is gonna be a little more teachy than preachy than normal, okay? Is that, that cool? So put on your thinking caps, get your notes out because this is gonna be helpful, I hope. I hope we, give, we just work on our paradigms and I give you a new framework for everything. But here's the first consideration you have to have, to have when it comes to this conversation of giving truth its place in your life. And if, if really it is a matter of us connecting to what is ultimately true to experience what is ultimately good in life, Here's the first thing you have to understand about truth and why this is such a complex and, and difficult thing. When it comes to truth, number one, here, if you're taking notes, number one, our understanding of truth is constrained. Our understanding of truth is constrained. What do I mean by that? I mean that there are limits and frankly, very low limits to what you and I, as smart and as brilliant as humans are, that we've created telescopes and computers and Modern science is, is, is a wonder, but you've got to know something from the beginning when we get talking about truth, is that from the get-go, there are things that are far beyond, things that are true that are far beyond our ability to grasp or understand or imagine. That we are limited in our understanding. Not just your husband, all of us are limited in our understanding, every single one of us. This is why the Bible says that fear of God. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because wisdom starts with humility. True knowledge starts with humility. And here's the thing. I think the first thing we've lost in our society and our culture today is our humility when it comes to the mystery of the universe. When it comes to this reality that, you know what, there, there's so much that we don't know. Our confidence in science has become an idol. It's become an idol and it, it never used to be that way. I was driving home uh, from youth group on Wednesday night. I don't go to youth group. My daughter was there. My daughter is in youth, y'all. What is this? Oh. And I'm driving home and she, uh, she's, she's like, dad, we're doing a new series. And, and I'm like, oh yeah, what's it about? She's like, it's called At Odds. And I go, well, what's that about? And she, she's like, it's about things that you think might be at odds, but in the end, maybe they're not. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, today we learned about how faith and science aren't at odds. Did you know that? And I'm like, well, yes, I did. And she's like, yeah. She goes, faith and science. Like sometimes people will tell you like, you know, I, I believe in science, so I don't have faith. And, but actually, God, he goes, dad, she goes, dad, did you know that, that science was actually created by believers? 
by people who believed in God and were just trying to find him and find what is real and find what is true. And she goes, like Isaac Newton and Galileo and Sir Francis Bacon. And I'm like, who are you? It's like, when I was 11, I was worried about Mike Tyson's punch out and saving Princess Zelda. What are you doing, Francis Bacon? Please, kids these days. Anyway, so she starts saying this, like science, and it's true, science was originally made for us to try to expand our paradigm, to try to push the walls of our under, limited understanding, to use tools and a scientific method to be able to explore what is true in the universe. That's what science was created for. And she was telling me that, and then I kind of geeked out on her a little bit. I was like, yeah, you know, you need to understand as a person of faith that there's a difference between the metaphysical and the physical, and you're really going to need to know the difference, doll. And then I start telling her this, and she starts glazing over, and the conversation ended. But here's what's happened. Human beings, we, we, we came up with a scientific method, and we've, we've discovered amazing things about the universe. And it's incredible, like, even when you use science. Uh, you ever go on, like, YouTube, and you type in, like, the scale of the universe? You ever do that? And it'll show you how, like, you know, it'll show you the size of our solar system and how you can get a million Earths inside of the sun. Whoa! Right? And then you can get, uh, there are 100 billion suns they think, in our galaxy. Our galaxy, like the Milky Way that you look at at night, like we're in that. Does that start to go, right? And then they think that there's like 100 billion galaxies in the known quantifiable universe, which is like, we know like they think 1% of it. And it just starts to warp and stretch your imagination to the point where you just hit the wall, right? Don't you? Yes? Yeah. But what's happened though is, instead of hitting the wall and throwing our hands up in worship and saying, there's things I don't understand, God. And like it says in Isaiah 55, your, your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are, are higher than my thoughts. And what I don't know causes me to humble myself in worship and submit myself to higher laws and higher truths. What's happened is we kind of pen in ourselves at the end of our understanding. And we stop looking beyond that to what is true. And we basically operate right here in this kind of zone of relativity on our understanding. And that's what's happened with science. That's what's happened in our day and age. And now you, you could listen to certain atheistic scientists that, you know, they're, 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 they'll speak in terms of discovery, but they have no room for the metaphysical. They have no room for what's outside of space and time. And I wonder if we're ever going to get back to the truth, we first and foremost have to realize something, that we are limited and we are constrained in our ability to understand what is true from the beginning. Like, let me, let me say it like this. We're talking about truth today. You and I have a huge handicap when it comes to trying to even understand truth. Our brains are limited and there are things that are true, that are currently true, that you and I don't know are true. And just because you think something is true doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Has anybody found that out to be true? Like some of you, like just because you think your car is parked outside in the parking lot, just because you think that's true doesn't mean it's true. In fact, if you have a green Camry, we towed it because you parked it in front of the, the fire lane. So anyway, no, I'm just joking, I'm just playing. But you can, <laughs> have you ever, had, you ever had something stolen? You thought was there and then it's not there? Just because you think something's true doesn't mean that it's true. And so we have to come to this conversation with a great deal of humility. Just because we don't know something doesn't make it any less true. 
How many of you have ran headlong into a wall of truth you didn't know was there? Boom, and you hit it. Truth is unmoving. It's uncomfortable sometimes, isn't it? It's like a rock. We'll get to that. So first and foremost, truth is a struggle because we're limited. Say, I'm limited. Didn't that feel good? Yeah. Take the pressure of the universe off. You were never made to understand or hold the weight of the world on your shoulders. So take a deep breath. We're limited. Here's another part of our dilemma. Number two, write this down. Our detection of truth is contentious. Contentious. I put a lot of work into getting good C words. So I hope you appreciate that. It's contentious. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's questionable. It's debatable. Um, In fact... There's increasing evidence in the scientific community and the sociological community that we as human beings are hyper prone to believing things that are true, that are actually lies. That you and I are like predisposed to just believing things to be true that aren't true. Now, I know some of you are like my wife. You like love, you watch CSI and you think you've missed your calling. You're supposed to be a detective and you're like super discerning and you just see through the crap. Like your BS detector is just perfect. I I got news for you, actually. The data shows that, that we are very, very, very prone to believing lies. And in fact, our BS detector, our lie detector is switched off at birth. We come out believing lies. And the Bible says that. I mean, the Bible says that. The Bible says things like we were born in darkness. Uh, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers, set up strongholds to keep us from the knowledge of God. The Bible says we were born blind in the dark. This is what it means when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I've come to illuminate what is real and what is true. So the Bible says that, but actually there's growing stuff outside of the community of faith that's saying, yep, we all fall for lies all the time. I read a book uh, this past fall, I mean, it's still the fall, but it was the last month called, called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Any Malcolm Gladwell fans? Good, we got like seven more readers in this service than the other ones, so that's good. Yeah, he wrote a book called Talking to Strangers. It's his newest one. It's really interesting. And in it, it's all about how we navigate like sociologically with each other and how we relate to one another. It's super interesting. But one of the big things he says, one of the biggest hurdles for us as human beings and how we relate to everything is the fact that we're so prone to believing lies. We actually just give people the benefit of the doubt long after we should have stopped giving them the benefit of the doubt. Like, has anybody ever found that to be true? Like anybody, uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but like maybe you, maybe you were cheated on in, in your relationship with your spouse. And you'll have people come around you say things like, oh, you know, we saw it coming and you're beating yourself up on why, I sh- why didn't I see it coming? But the reality is, unless there's overwhelming evidence to push back on our doubts, we're just going to keep saying something's true that's actually not. And he uses, uh, Gladwell uses this whole chapter, chapter three called The Queen of Cuba. And he talks about this, this woman, she was a Cuban spy back in the 1990s named Ana Montez. And she infiltrated the CIA, y'all. You know what CIA stands for? Central Intelligence Agency. The people who were being paid the best of the best to detect lies and get truth were duped by a woman who worked right there in the office with them and just kept feeding the Cubans all of the top secret information of the U.S. government. Insane. And they, they, so he interviews all these guys who were duped and they're just so frustrated by it. But his point is this, that our lie detector is switched off. And it's only when we get hindsight, we're like, oh, I should have seen it. But generally we live our lives blind, blind to reality. 
That's why I always push back on some of my atheistic friends. I'm like, do you hear yourself? You're criticizing my faith? The faith that you are walking on to believe that this is all happenstance is far beyond the logic that I have that I believe there's a creator. Like, I can't suspend my disbelief. Like, start asking big questions about your existence. It might lead you to what is actually true. That's like in the, the book, The Screwtape Letters. Anybody ever read any C.S. Lewis? Screwtape Letters is a book where it's this allegory where this senior demon is trying to coach a younger demon his, who's his nephew, which is just weird. But anyway, go with it. And he's trying to coach him on how to ruin this one guy's life. And this one guy, this human, starts to have these thoughts about God. And so Wormwood... The senior demon starts coaching Screwtape, the junior demon. He says, whatever you do, don't let him start asking the big questions of life because it's going to lead him to the enemy. I'm talking about God. He says, here's what you need to do. Get him busy with real life. Get him busy with real life. Don't let him ask the real questions. Don't let him ask the big questions. We have convinced ourselves that this is real life in here. And we have lost sight of the fact that there is all this truth and all of this stuff we do not know, and we are blind to it, completely blind to it. So this is, this is a dilemma. You're handicapped and limited in your understanding of truth, and we are blind in our perspective. It's getting fun, isn't it? Let's keep going. Number three, here's where, here's where, the, here's where it gets really dicey. So not only are you handicapped, is your, is your ability to understand the truth highly limited, I hope you feel uplifted today. Um, not only is your perspective highly tainted, but also when it comes to truth, number three, if you're taking notes, write this down, our deference to truth, our, our ability to, to respect it and follow it out, it, it's complicated. It's complicated. Tell the person next to you, it's complicated. Uh, you're all like half asleep. Help me out. It's complicated. What do I mean by complicated? I mean, it's tricky. How many of you figured out that when it comes to things being true, something can be true in this way, but not true in this way? Has anybody ever found that to be true? Like uh, something can be true over here, but not true enough over here. And so it gets hard for us to navigate things of truth. For, for example, maybe some of you are smokers. None of you after service are going to go down to the convenience store and say, hey, I'll take a pack of Marlboro. I don't even know if Marlboro is still a thing, but go with me. And the guy gives it to you and you see the teeth and you're like, oh, what? This causes cancer? No, sir. You take those back. I don't need no cancer up in here. Right? Like none of you, no one's, I don't think anyone's ever done that. That's probably in the history of cigarettes never happened. Why? Everyone who buys cigarettes know your teeth will look like that, your brain will look like that, and it causes cancer. You know that is true. But what is also true is cigarettes make me feel good. Right? Okay, maybe so there's not, not enough smokers in the room. Let's go diet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the groan. We all know it is not rocket science. I hear, I'm going to blow your mind. If this week you burn more calories than you eat, you will get skinnier. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like we all know that pie and Cheetos and pop leads to man boobs. We know it's true, <laughs> right? All of us, we know. But what is also true 
is pie and Doritos are awesome and they make me feel good. I want those. Here, I'm, I'm going out of my way to explain this because when it comes to truth, truth has to satisfy not just our knowing, it also has to satisfy our longing. There are, this is why it's not, it's not all wrong when we say like that there's subject, subjectivity to, to, to truth because truth has to bridge the gap, not just of how we think, but what we want. Now, I think we live in a time where we've thrown logic out the window and we're just going with our wanting. And that's why we're eating onions. But I want to suggest to you today that there's actually, there's merit in what the heart wants. You were made, you were made for what is real. You were made for life. And here's the tricky part about truth is it's very hard to find a truth that satisfies you intellectually, satisfies your knowing, but also is satisfies your longing. You ever found that? Like a lot of the things, has anybody ever literally said, why does everything that tastes good have to be bad for me? Is anybody, <laughs> my wife and I say it on a weekly basis. I'm like, oh, if this is wrong, I don't want to be right, right? That's because truth, there's a connection. Like you know that having an affair is going to destroy your family. It's going to hurt your wife. But there's part of you that says this is good for me. That's the hard part about truth. It's multi-layered, it's multifaceted, that there's, we're complex beings. It's not just about, we're not robots. We have hearts and longings. And so I think one of the reasons we've decided that truth is relative is because we've just given up the fact that maybe there's nothing true out there that can satisfy my knowing and my longing and my being and my doing. Maybe there's nothing out there. Maybe that's why we've just said, you know what? Nothing's true and it's all true. Have fun. Maybe that's why. See, truth is complicated. It's very complicated. The Bible calls it um, being dual-minded. That you say this and you want this. You say this is true, but you also think this is true. It's being dual-minded. That is a reality that you and I all deal with. So, so hopefully you're feeling upside down now. And you're feeling very blind and very limited and very like, okay, well, what do we do? I want to get you to the, get you to the point, but there's one more area of stress I want to put on us first. Can we do that? Here's the last part of the dilemma. It's not just that we come out limited in our understanding of what is true and that there are currently things true that you and I will never be able to wrap our heads around. It's not just that we come out blind, prone to believing lies, and there are currently a, probably a multitude of lies that we are all believing, calling true, that aren't actually true. It's not just that we are complex beings that need to be satisfied both intellectually in our knowing, but also in our longing and our feelings. It's not just that whole mishmash, hot mess of difficulty. Here's the craziest part about it. When it comes to truth, number four, our accuracy in truth is critical. Our accuracy in the truth is critical. Like, we have to get this right. Like, I don't know if you've woken up and thought about it this way or not, but like I said earlier, your life is currently riding on the rails of your belief. And if what you believe is not right, and I don't mean just right for today, I mean right for tomorrow and right for the next day and the next day. And I don't just mean right for you, but right for those you love and those you live with and the region that you live in. And I don't just mean for this year or next year, I mean right forever and ever and ever and ever. Like it's critical that we get it right. And here's the crazy thing. We've got one shot at this. For all of eternity, you have one shot to, to literally thread the needle. I mean, you have got to snipe eternity with one shot. 
And that shot has got to thread the needle of what is both intellectually true, but also true for my longing, also true today, but it'll still be true tomorrow and true the next day and the next day. Like, do you see how complex this is? And everything is riding on it. Because whether you want it to be true or not, what is true will be evident in the end. And you better hope you are right. I once, I recently heard the, uh, like a modern day parable. It was a story of, of two climbers. They were climbing this big rock wall and they were way up, way up high and they didn't have the harnesses on. They were kind of free climbing and they got up super high and they got to this ledge and they're both sitting on this ledge and they're almost to the top, but there's, there's, there's a choice they have to make. There's this rock here and there's this rock here. And the two climbers kind of were going back and forth. Do we take this rock or that rock? And the one climber was a little more boisterous and a little more confident. And he said, you know what? I am confident. I feel it in my bones. I know it. I feel it. I'm sure of it. This is the rock we want to take. And the other, the other climber's like, ah, I don't, th- I don't know. I don't, I don't feel as confident as you, but I think it's actually this one. And the other guy's like, no, you're wrong. Watch me. I feel it. And I know it. And he climbs up on that rock and the rock lets go and he falls to his death. Ah! That's pretty good. Eh? Did you hear it tail off at the end? <laughs> stay with me, Brent. I need to stay with myself. So he falls. And then the other guy grabs the other rock. The other guy who's uncertain. He wasn't sure. He was a little more wobbly in his faith, but he wasn't sure. And he grabs onto the rock and he pulls himself up and he's saved. He climbs to safety. And the moral of the story is this. Who was saved? Was it the one who had the the strong conviction and the big, bold, bad faith? And he knew with all his heart, he believed with all his feeling that this is the right rock? No, it was the one who believed in the right rock. And it really had nothing to do with how much he believed it. It had everything to do with what he believed in. This is why Jesus says, you only need faith like a mustard seed. It's not about your faith. It's about what your faith is in. Is the rock that you are building your whole life on, is it true? Is it true? Will it hold? Can it stand up? Can it stand up today? Did it stand up yesterday? Can it stand up tomorrow? Can it stand up the day after that? And here's the deal. Where you build your life, it's going to cost you or give you everything. Like this is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, the end of his great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look, he who hears my word and puts it into practice, who walks it out, is like one who built his life on the rock. And the rain came and the wind came and it crashed and it pressed and it pushed and culture changed and opinions changed and values changed, but the rock didn't change and he stayed with it. It's critical that we get it right. So here's the question you should be asking. How do we, how do we hit the mark of truth with the shot of our life? How do we thread the needle of truth when we are blind to it? So you're shooting in the dark. We are prone to aiming at things that aren't true. And we want things to be true in multiple arenas that we only have one shot. And if I pick this, does that mean I don't get this? You have one shot for all the truth. Does anybody feel overwhelmed yet? Good. Here's the solution. And you know the answer, but I'll ho- I hope this helps put him in new light. Our provision. So the problem of truth, and here's the provision. Our provision, our means of truth is Jesus Christ. 
Our means of truth is Jesus Christ. The gospel is this, like it says in John 1, uh, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the truth. And the word was God and the word was with God. And it says, behold, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's the amazing thing about the gospel. The gospel is that truth came into our understanding. It's infinite, unknowable, unimaginable, almighty, omniscient, omniscient, omnipresent, omni-everything. It's that God coming into our understanding in the person of Jesus. That's what the incarnation is. It's infinite. It's infinity coming into the temporal. It's transcendence coming into relationship, relativity. Think about it like that. That's what the gospel is. That's, that's the, the eternal, unknowable truth becoming knowable. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it. It's like, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And behold, he says, uh, the word became flesh. The word put on body and moved into the neighborhood. Truth moved into the neighborhood. That's, that's what Jesus is. And then you start, if we had time, we could flip through the gospels like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they start saying things that if you think about it in this terminology of truth, they start th saying things like when Jesus would teach, they'd say, we haven't heard anything like that. He teaches as one with authority. What's authoritative? Truth. Authority is when some lie hits up against what is true. They ever see, or when something that is less true, so to speak, hits up against something that is more true. Uh, again, we're getting relative, but bear with me. That's, they said he, he teaches as one with authority. It's, it's the truth. But it wasn't just his words that were true. His deeds were authoritative too. What was he doing when he was going around touching people's blind eyes and bringing them to life, saying, I am the light of the world, not just, not just intellectually, but physio physiologically, physically. Again, it's the truth of God who operates outside of our limitations coming in saying, if I say blind eyes be open, they're gonna open. If I say fever break, it's gonna break. If I say chains be broken, they're gonna be broken. If I say I wanna walk on water, I'm gonna walk on water. If I, say, if I say she's just sleeping, she's just sleeping. If I say Lazarus, rise and get out of the grave, he's gonna get out of the grave because I don't operate in the limits of your existence. So he, he, he moved and taught as one with authority. And then he gave this one invitation. He said over and over, he says, come follow me. Follow me, follow me, follow me. That's the invitation of Jesus. When he says, believe in me, we have separated and divorced belief from faith. Not in Jesus's world. See, you can, in our day and age, you can believe something, but not put your faith in it. When Jesus invites us to believe in him, it means we actually aim our lives at him and we follow him. This is about discipleship. This is not about checking some belief box off. This is about following him. But his invitation was, follow me, come this way, come this way. I am the way, he says, I am the light. He says, I, I will illuminate your path. So he says, follow me. And then over and over and over again, he said many times, in fact, in a very variety of different ways, he kept saying, I am, I am. And when we hear that, we're not just hearing, uh, we don't hear it the way that they would have heard it in that day. When he was saying, I am, he was claiming deity. He's saying, I'm God. He says, I am 
the bread of life. If you want satisfaction, the satisfaction that your heart longs for, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. He says, if you want, I am the rock. He says, I am the, I am the gate of salvation. If you want salvation, he says, I am the light of the world. If you're looking for illumination and revelation, I am the light of the world. What's he saying? He's saying, I, I literally am the truth that is outside of your understanding that you're trying to get and connect with. And here's, the, here's kind of the, he puts it all together in John 14. Look at this. And I hope you never see this the same way again. Are you still with me? We're almost done. I wanted just to get to this one place today. Look what he says in John 14. He just told the disciples, I'm going to go. And they're freaking out because they don't understand what's going to happen next. But then he, he kind of contextualizes everything about who he is. Look what he says. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, if we pulled that statement out and we put it in the kind of marketplace of ideas in our culture, that is a very exclusive statement, isn't it? No one, he says, can come to the Father except through me. But it's also hyper-inclusive. Everyone can come to the Father if you come through him. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. And then look what he says. He says, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What's he saying? He's, he's saying, I have come to reveal the Father. And if you know me, you know the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, let me put it a different, a different way. What does he mean by the way? We, just, we talked about how your life is running on the rails of your belief. The way you are going is about what you're believing currently. That's the paradigm. So your choices, your decisions, your values are all built around what you believe. And Jesus says, I am the way. So he's saying, Aim your life at me, make me your belief system. And then what's he say? I am the truth. Now hang with me. If I aim my life, my belief at him that is true, I will hit what is true and I will have life. Let me, let me illustrate it like this because I feel like I'm, I'm not saying it as good as I want to. I went fishing with some of my buddies back in July and there were no fish. So what do four men do in the woods when there's no fish? You shoot stuff. So we, we, we got a gun and we started shooting targets. Some of you vegans judging me, get out of here. I mean, you're welcome here, but I, I shoot stuff once in a while. Not an animal. We just shot a, I didn't shoot an animal. No animals are harmed in the filming of this ser sermon. <laughs> it was so touchy. But we, we had this little metal target and we were taking target practice and it was just a little 22 caliber. -ding, -ding. It was fun. And we were shooting targets and my three friends who are all hunters, I'm not a hunter because I, I believe in animal rights. So um, I, I don't hunt, but it's not because I have some big ax to grind. But anyway, um, so they all, they're all shooting the target and they're just sniping the target every time. Just, no, it didn't matter, like even way far away, they were nailing that target. And I was like, let me try that. And I get up and, you know, I saw Clint Eastwood do this once. So I just, <laughs> all right, miss, 
miss, miss. And I start trying to like line it in, I miss. And I, I realize until I learn how to aim through the sights, I will not hit the target I'm aiming at. And not only do I have to like see the target in the scope, but I actually have to put the target in the crosshairs. And they're literally like, I'm looking through the scope and it's, I won't tell you whose head I've got lined up right now, but <laughs> I'm, I'm looking through the scope and there's literally a cross. And that if you aim your, if you put the cross on the target that you want to hit, it'll hit and the terminology is true, right? If your gun, if your, if your aim is true, it, it'll go where the, the crosshairs are pointed. And think about your life like that. Like God actually gave you in the scope of your life, in the scope of your understanding, he gave us crosshairs. He gave us a line of sight that if you aim at that, and you aim the scope of your understanding, the scope of your perspective, the scope of your values, the scope of your history, the scope of your future, the scope of your desires, the scope of your love, the scope of your longing, the scope of your family. If you aim that at the crosshairs, it'll hit true. That's what he's getting at with I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying, if you aim your life at me, you will hit what is true. And when you hit what is true, you will have what is really life. Isn't that an incredible thought? Like I've been, I've been literally walking around like this in my mind all week. Not, not with one of these, but like just thinking about like, how can, I, how can I make Christ the lens of my existence? Like in the questions of what is right or wrong, I look at the crosshairs. In the questions of what I do with my own self-worth, I look at the crosshairs. In the questions of what I do with the fears in my, in my world, I look, I look through the crosshairs. I look, I look at my fear through the crosshairs. In the questions of, will I go to heaven when I die? I do as I line it up through the crosshairs. See, you have been given something to aim at with your life. He has a name, it's Jesus. You haven't been given. I know, I know sometimes we, we, talk about, we talk about the Bible like it's God's roadmap for life. No, 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 it's much more than that. This is to reveal his person. This is to reveal who he is and what he's like so that you and I can follow a person, not just a plan. Look, if, if we come through this series and, and you feel like you, you're better equipped to understand your design, but you don't know your designer, we have missed the point. This is about following Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, he will thread the needle. He is the one that is true enough to satisfy your intellect, to satisfy your knowing and your not knowing, to satisfy your longings. You know what I've found as I follow Jesus? I still, I still long for things that aren't true and that aren't good, but he is gradually changing my longings. It's incredible. As you follow him, he starts to shift your heart and your desires. The Bible says that he came to give us a new heart to replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And that happens as we aim our lives after him. We follow him. He starts to change our lives. He's the truth that satisfies us. He's the life that, he's the rock that we build on that will not be moved. Let me read it one more time. Would you stand with me? I wanna read it one more time and see if it hasn't taken a little bit of different light. 1 John 5, 20. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. See, truth is a someone. Truth has a name. It's Jesus. So that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. So as you line up your life on him, you are standing in the truth. Isn't that amazing? If you wanna know what truth is like, look at Jesus. You wanna know what God is like, look at Jesus. You wanna know what love looks like, look at Jesus. You wanna know what righteousness looks like, look at Jesus. You wanna know what glory looks like, look at Jesus. And if you want to hit that target, stand in him. And we are in him who is true. Someone needs to hear that today. You're not in him because you figured out how to get your life to him. You're in him because you've looked in his direction. You said, I'm setting my sights on him. That's the way of salvation. You align yourself with him. Is this making sense? And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. The proverb says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. Align your life with him and he will direct your path. Let's receive that this morning. Let me ask you a question to some of you. What are you aimed at? What is your target? And are you aiming blind? What are you lining up with? Do you have the crosshairs in your life? What are you building? What's the rock that you're building on? And is it true? I'm gonna to pray together in just a minute. I'm gonna just pray. We've been doing this all weekend. There've been people deciding to put their faith in Jesus and align their lives on, up on him. I wanna give you that invitation. But for the rest of us, let's just reset and dial in the scope of our life and say, Jesus, we're setting our sights on you. Like it says in Hebrews 12, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So Father, we thank you today. We thank you that you've given us truth. We thank you, Lord, that you not left us in our own blindness. We thank you that you not left us in our own confusion. Lord, and forgive us for the ways that we've called things true that aren't true. Forgive us for the lies that we've believed. Forgive us for the ways we've wandered off. But God, thank you for having grace for us that Jesus, when you hung on the cross and you set the cross before us, you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But now, Lord, that we have the cross, you call us unto yourself. And so Father, we're turning you to you today. God, I pray that you would help us to better build our lives on Jesus, the solid rock. God, I pray that you'd help us better navigate this world through the cross that you gave us. And so Father, for all of us, we just set our sights on you. And maybe we can all just repeat this after me. Can you just say this? Every one of us, just say this out loud and let's just declare our faith in Jesus. Say, Jesus, you are the way, you're the truth, and you're the life. And I'm coming to you. Forgive me of my sins. I give you my life now and forever. Amen. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.